Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. Um, in case you haven't read Ruth before, I want to kind of paint a picture of what's going on here. So uh, picture Orpah, who, by the way, is not Oprah. Oprah was named after Orpah. Interestingly, yeah, so they thought that there was, somehow there was a little bit of a game of telephone where like Orpah turned into Oprah, and that's how Oprah got her name. Um, so uh, not, not Oprah, but Orpah and Ruth uh, were on this road, and they're just staring at Naomi. Now, Ro- uh, Ruth was Naomi's daughter-in-law, or maybe I should say former daughter-in-law, and Naomi was Ruth's former mother-in-law. So Naomi um, married a guy and had two sons, and those two sons and her husband tragically died. And already in just a couple of those sentences, you can hear like whole sermon series for how we would wrestle through that. I wonder what I would have preached if Naomi were here when she first married Elimelech. And I wonder what Naomi, whose name in Hebrew is similar to the word for sweetness, Naomi means sweetness, was praying for as she looked at her two sweet boys running up and down, as she dreamed of all the great things that God is said to do in the beauty of families, as she uh, heard her kids playing. But this sermon, at least in the beginning, isn't about those happy moments, because that's not exactly what the beginning of Ruth is about. The beginning of Ruth is here for all of you who are not living happy moments in your relationships right now. Naomi lost her husband, and uh, and we see, yeah, that her two precious sons had died too. And on top of that, by the way, in the beginning of Ruth 1, don't lose that they're experiencing a climate catastrophe. Her community is having a famine in the land. And so suddenly, Naomi's life went from delightful to desperate. It was for this reason that Naomi, whose name is Sweetness, would rename herself after all of these unfortunes. Naomi, whose name is Sweetness, renamed herself as Mara, whose name is Bitterness. Mara means bitterness in Hebrew. And so, like, sometimes you have experiences in your life where like things are going really well and you're feeling like you're in a season of sweetness. And sometimes things are so catastrophic in your life that you're in seasons of bitterness. Some of you are like, actually that season of bitterness has been like a whole decade of bitterness or like a whole extended, most of my life is kind of Mara version and, and not as much Naomi version. And so, and so th- this is kind of the, heads, he- the mindset that uh, Mara was in. She was looking at Orpah and Ruth there standing on the road. And these three mi- women were li- let me explain this to you. So these three women were living in a society where there were no legitimate economic means for women to be able to provide for themselves. They were living in a society where there is no pathway outside of marriage into a family for them to be able to have food and housing and basic needs met, right? This is like ancient society. And uh, these three women were looking at each other on the road 
And, and they've been told their whole lives that they needed a man to protect and provide for them. And so like, you can imagine that this wasn't just like a heart moment, that this was also a financial moment, a cultural moment, a physical needs moment. And you can imagine the mean voices that Mara had in her head while she was going down that road. A famine refugee, a widow, a bereaved mother, and now an economically destitute woman on the road. And she's looking at these two young women whom she feared would have a life of bitterness ahead of them. And she was looking around like, well, if God is real, I don't see God doing anything, so we have to take some action. So they all uh, kind of looked at each other, and Naomi tells Orpah and Ruth to go home. We didn't uh, read it in the scripture reading today, but there, she gives this whole speech where she kind of like is like, okay, here's where we are, and I'm going to game out every path or opportunity. Like, we're going to figure out, like, this is how this can go. We could try this, that won't work. We could try this, that won't work. And so she kind of games out uh, every single opportunity, and, and uh, every single path ended in misery. And isn't it true that sometimes when you're in a season of bitterness, that you're, this, the voice in your head is like, I know that there's only unhappiness ahead for me. <laughs> like, I, like so there's somehow all of this confidence in our psyche with that cold, closed, and calculating voice that says, I have checked every single option and all of them are miserable. And you know what? I think that there actually is an internal logic to that emotion. I think that that line of thinking protects you from disappointment. Sometimes it's, you know, you know what I mean? Like sometimes it's like, we're not gonna try that because it'll be terrible. That's you protecting yourself from getting your hopes up and then realizing that this isn't gonna work again. Because sometimes the crash from getting your hopes up and then it not turning out is more painful than just not trying at all. And that's exactly where Mara was. Like, you know what, I, I gamed all these out and it's not going to work. So it was in that kind of headspace that Naomi told Orpah and Ruth to go back home. And I do wanna celebrate for a minute that like, you know, they had this conversation and Orpah was like, okay, and then <laughs> I was like, bye. <laughs> because sometimes, God just wants you to survive. You know, like, so it's like, <laughs> the Bible does not have any negative connotation to the decision that Orpah made. The Bible doesn't say like Orpah was unfaithful or Orpah turned her, you know, the, it wasn't like um, the sin of Orpah carried with her to her people. Like Orpah was like, you know, I agree with your assessment of the situation. I gotta go stay at my sister's place for a little bit. <laughs> and like that, was okay because sometimes we come into life sometimes we come into situations in our life where it's okay for us to make decisions to uh, to survive and and sometimes you're even in situations where there is um, in a, a dynamic of unhealth perhaps even abuse where turning around and going out is exactly the thing that you're supposed to be doing you know, like, like sometimes, like, we all need to pull an orpa and just be like, you know, I'm out. <laughs> I'm, I'm going. And, and the Bible does not punish her for that. Um, but I think what's interesting is that this, this book of the Bible isn't called Orpah. This book of the Bible is called Ruth. And, and the 
and the Bible wants you to catch on to something that is being communicated through this story, so much so that people throughout thousands of years fought to preserve this story. Because what did Ruth say? She said, I'm gonna stay with you. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do this to me and more so if even death separates me from you. Whoa. And, and, and right here at the end, by the way, may the Lord do this to me. That is, um, uh, a ins- that's an uh, inscription for what people do when they make a, a sacred vow. This is like the kind of thing that prophets do. This is the kind of thing that like kings do. When, they, when you see in the Bible, like, may the Lord do to me, like that is like the thing that high elected officials do when they're making a very important promise and they want God to witness that. And here's Ruth and Naomi, these two destitute women looking at each other and Ruth calls upon the sacred authority of God to say like, I can make a sacred oath as well. I can have the same power that a king or a prophet has because the God who is the God of them is also the God of me. And I'm calling upon God right now to make a commitment in my relationship. And don't <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and, and it's this kind of Yeah, we're, we're doing this. Yeah, we're doing this. We're doing this. Uh, can we give it up for our stage manager, by the way? Hallelujah. Um, It's this kind of commitment that I really want to draw your attention to. Because one of the questions that I have for you is who in your life are you ready to commit to? And I'm not just talking about marriage. Like, obviously, marriage is like a whole big conversation. I'm talking about, like, do you have a friend or neighbor, a relative in your life that you are ready to commit to? Two, that you're ready to create a certain type of commitment. Some of you are like, no, I'm going to do a full Orpa. How are we doing? How are we doing? Hello, hello. Hey! <laughs> we bless the Lord. Um, so, I think, do you understand what I'm trying to ask you, though? Like, the whole point is that uh, it's not just about commitment. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm just going to be a freewheeling little dancer. Tiny dancer, here I am. Okay. Um, um, one time I was uh, in seminary with my best friend Eric, and we lived together, and um, Eric kind of helped me navigate. I was out of the closet at that point, but I was kind of like still navigating the dating world and like the gay dating world in Atlanta, which is like, <laughs> woo! Um, and Eric was straight, and, and so, you know, he, every once in a while we would talk about that. And we were friends, and, and we lived together. And after seminary had ended, we kept in touch. And eventually I had a conversation with him that was like, I see it as my vocation from God to keep our friendship going. I see it as like just as important as being a pastor, as being um, a, a child to my parents, is like our vocation to be friends. This is so important to me that I kind of want to make like a declaration of how I'm going to commit to our relationship. 
And, and I think that as a society, we don't really celebrate those types of declarations. Like obviously we have a huge marriage ceremony, which by the way, how much does, what is the average cost of a wedding nowadays? Approximately two million dollars? I think it's like approximately the half the GDP of our country is what a wedding costs. But like what ceremonies or rituals do we have for people who are willing to commit to each other as friends? What's there, what's there, what, how many tens of thousands of dollars are we, yeah, so we should like start this, right? Like we should be like commissioning people to be like neighbors to each other. Like I'm committing to living my life with, if you're like in a, in a volleyball team that you're like, I'm gonna, I'm part of this volleyball team. Like this volleyball team is part of my vocation. Then we should also be able to spend like, have a ceremony for hundreds of dollars to be able to celebrate that. And that is what Ruth is trying to invite you to celebrate right now. Ruth is trying to get you to see that God moves through certain types of relationships and it's not just romantic relationships and it's not just heterosexual relationships and it's not just this like committed for life kind of thing. What Ruth is trying to get you to see is that there is like a sacred nutrition that comes to you through deep friendships. And one of the problems with the real problems that we have in our society, in Western society, is that we're so heteronormative and so patriarchal and also so capitalist that friendships are not valued or seen as legitimate. Like if you were to be like, hey, I have to miss work because my spouse is going to the hospital, that is like seen as a legitimate thing. I have to miss work because my friend is going to the hospital is not seen as legitimate. But why is that? Why is it that we don't value people being able to stick together? I mean, I think that part of the reason is because misery makes you buy more things. Uh, so, <laughs> like, so like there's a certain vested interest in people staying a little miserable. But I think the other reason is because we don't listen to people like Ruth, who, is, who are demonstrating that there's a certain like sacred commitment that you can make to people in your life. Now, there's a couple of key things that I want to observe about how Ruth goes about this because I know that it can be kind of hard sometimes uh, to have these types of friendships and relationships. So first I want to name that Ruth shows high commitment without showing high codependency. What does that mean? So like Ruth is like, I will go where you go, but she's not saying, I will feel what you feel. Okay, so she's like, um, I, uh, I am not going to change, I'm not going to dedicate my life to changing your name back to Naomi, to sweetness. You can be Mara, and you're gonna, it's not my responsibility to like shovel through all of the emotional work that is involved in that, but I am committing to walking alongside you. It's like, um, and, and Ruth was not like, I'm, I'm going to fix your jaded theology because obviously your relationship to God needs some help. She was like, I'm just going to walk alongside you. And it was kind of like, um, like Winnie the Pooh and Eeyore. <laughs> Y'all know this? Like where it's like, Winnie the Pooh was never like, Eeyore, we're going to fix how sad you are. Or Eeyore, you're like, you're a real bummer. We're going to just try to like kind of work on this a little. Can we just, can, we, can you just like, uh, like I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up early every morning and wake you up and we're gonna, I'm going to give you a lemon water and we're going we're gonna to do it together. Like Winnie the Pooh is not like picking up Eeyore. Winnie the Pooh is like, hey Eeyore, you're invited to hang out with us and I would love it if you did. 
And, and that's and that kind of like, I'm highly committed to you, but I'm not codependent with you is important. Sometimes I feel like people who are in a downward spiral, so, when we see people who are in a downward spiral, sometimes we think that we have to join that downward spiral with them. When really, what is most helpful is to just have like a stable shoulder for people who are so dizzy from their downward spiral to just be able to kind of like, like restabilize themselves. Like, okay, 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 we're back, we're back, we're back. So Ruth isn't like, you know, I'm changing my name to Mara, or we're both Mara together. Like Ruth is like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep my name, and I'm gonna stay who I am, and I'm gonna keep my work, my work, and your work, your work, and that doesn't at all imply that we are not completely committed to each other. That doesn't at all detract of how deeply uh, Ruth saw life with Naomi as part of her vocation, and I think that this is how God uh, wants us to relate to people in general. Um, we learn this from Jesus. Like Jesus moved toward the people who are mourning without also drowning in his own tears, right? Like Jesus sought out lepers without tearing his own skin. And he sought to be in community with people who were living through storms while knowing that he did not have to participate in the storm. So like, I, I think that this is, what Ruth is showing us is modeling a way to be in relationship. The second thing is that Ruth shows that relationships make a new economic reality possible. So um, here are two women in the ancient Near East who decided that they were going to make this economically foolish decision together. Anyone from any of the readers at the time would have been like, that is not a good idea. Like this is not a good call. Um, and sure, eventually in this book, Ruth does find a hunky boyfriend who like has a lot of carbs for her to eat. It's a whole nother story. But, um, but like, and so eventually that, you know, that like male household thing kind of does come into play. But they didn't know that when they decided to commit to each other. They weren't like, we're positioning our, we're gearing up our whole life so that men, so that we can find a man. They were like, we're just gonna, we're just gonna be in relationship with each other. And see, I think that this is significant because do you remember Mara, Naomi, thought that she had done all of the gaming. She thought that she had calculated every step. She thought that she checked all of her options and all of them would end in misery. And then here's Ruth saying, actually love creates new options. Actually, like the thing that, like the thing that your calculus did not include is how powerful love is. And the love that they feel with each other actually opened up entirely new opportunities that she hadn't thought about before. This is something that the bitter part of your life needs to hear, that love makes new possibilities that you didn't know were possible, that you can't consider with a logical brain, but your heart is driving you towards, like love makes new things possible. Which by the way, uh, does not mean that couples shouldn't talk about money. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like this is, don't like reverse engineer this. Like love makes new economic possibilities. Therefore, I never have to talk about money with my couple. <laughs> like, no, 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 because money teaches us what is really important to us. 
when we, when we figure out our relationship to money, we figure out our relationship to what we're actually valuing. And that's actually something incredibly important for a couple to know. So talk to each other about money, but just know that no economist is accounting for the radical, revolutionary type of world that love can create. No one is anticipating this, and so it's gonna be outside of your imagination. Sometimes when I feel like I pray to God, I'm like, okay, God, should I do option A, B or C, and God is like, flamingo. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, like what, what exactly, what? And God is like, yep, that's what love, love is the flamingo option. <laughs> like, there's just gonna be, there's just gonna be new things. There's, God is speaking a new possibility into your life. God is the one who makes a way out of no way. And that means that like, sometimes we have to trust God enough to believe that a new possibility is there, even if we feel like it's not. Like that's kind of the radical trust of love. That's why we call what we're doing faith, because eventually it takes a certain type of faith to, uh, to see these new possibilities. And by the way, did you know that in the early church, by early church I mean um, the people after Jesus did his whole thing, <laughs> um, the people who were following Jesus, the early church, created, they, they looked at society and said, you know, some of the most economically oppressed people in our society are widows. And so the early church created an order of widows. They created a new society a new function, a new role that was like, what if the widows, instead of being doomed to be at the whims of whether or not a man decides to have them in their family, what if we created a new economic system where women can actually like have their own lives? And so they, the, uh, the order of widows started um, like working for the church and started like doing uh, works of compassion in, in, the, in the neighborhood. We read about the Order of Widows. By the way, um, this really helps you understand uh, some of the problematic things that we read about widows in like um, uh, in First Timothy. It's like what is really being talked about is a whole new revolutionary group of women coming together to say we're gonna create an economic opportunity for ourselves where there was none before. And I think that's, uh, that's exactly the type of like Ruth imagination that is possible in God. And lastly, like I did uh, mention before, Ruth did end up marrying that dreamboat named Boaz. Oh my gosh. Uh, he, and Boaz leveraged the privilege that he had, he, had, he was all set up, to make sure that Ruth and Naomi had their needs taken care of. Um, something I didn't mention before is that Ruth is a Moabite, so she's a cultural outsider. She was part of like a uh, kind of a despised people group, um, uh, and and uh, and Boaz kind of like married cross culture had a cross cultural marriage, and they had a mixed baby uh, named Obed, and you know that mixed babies are the cutest, and so Naomi held that baby. So, and so like Obed was born, and I just want you to like emotionally empathize for a second what it would have felt like for Naomi to hold Obed in that moment. For Naomi, who was stuck on the road with no options, whose children that she loved so much had died, to now be in kind of like a new type of family. 
And, and she's not necessarily charted on the family tree, but she was very much part of the family ecology. And so there she was um, holding this baby so tightly, and she looked into that baby's brown eyes and saw the persistence of her mother, and she said prayers with that baby to a God that she thought had completely abandoned her. The baby discipled Naomi to becoming Naomi again. <laughs> The love uh, that God showed, the, the deliverance of that, meant that her name would no longer be bitterness, but that she could once again discover sweetness in her life. Of course, she would never forget where she had gone because people, and people who have walked a path of bitterness or had a season of bitterness know this. You can never kind of go back to being foolishly naive but she now could kind of almost find like a second naivete or kind of like the ability to believe that goodness is possible once again, that, that there is true and real goodness in the world. And she went through a hard time and both of those realities were true for her. And that is the power of love, love that commits and walks alongside, love that does not look outwardly for hope because the love itself is the hope, not looking outwardly for light because love itself is radiant. Ruth and Boaz had a child named Obed who one day had a son named Jesse. And Jesse had a son named David who would become a king. And he had kids and 28 generations after King David, Jesus would be born. Jesus the savior of the whole world, Jesus, the mercy and solidarity of God that is the greatest embodiment of love in all of history. Jesus, who looked out at all of these children of God, these disciples, and said, I have a new story for your life. Jesus was born because one day God moved through two poor climate refugees and made a way out of no way. Let it not be lost that we would not be here today if it weren't for Ruth and Naomi looking at each other and deciding that they can create a new world when no other world was giving options. This is a big deal. <laughs> There's no Jesus if there was no Ruth. And this is significant for you because you are going to be given opportunities to love people in your life. And you, it might be, um, you might be in a place in your life where your imagination is so shrunk that you think it's just between you and this person. But I'm here to tell you that every time that you love anyone, you're creating a new world that all of us inherit. Anytime that you love anyone, God can work through the generations of that love to create something that radically transforms everything. This is your power. Do not forfeit it. Do not lay down the power that you have because the empire will be happy to snatch it back up. You have the power to love and shape history. And that is what Ruth is all about.